Thanks for joining us on the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show. This podcast is for anyone interested in cultured meat and future food technologies. We're excited to have Bjorn Osta as the guest for today's episode. 2020 is packed with events in the cultured meat space. In March, industrializing cell-based meats comes back to San Francisco. In April, the new food conference from ProVeg takes place in Berlin. This July, the new Harvest Conference is taking place on July 10th and 11th back at the MIT Media Lab in Boston. Registration will be available soon at new-harvest.org. October, the 6th International Scientific Conference on Cultured Meat is scheduled for October 11th through 13th in Maastricht. Lastly, the Cultured Meat Symposium, or CMS 20, is taking place on October 29th and 30th in San Francisco. This year, topics of regulation, automation, and scale will be discussed. Learn more and register at www.cms20.com. Find the latest events and updates at futurefoodshow.com. The last 21 years, Bjorn has spent traveling the globe and building markets and supply chains. His focus has been on the business development side of things, identifying industry partners, investor groups, various subject matter experts across multiple fields, and markets and disciplines. He sees virtually endless opportunities in the high-tech food industry, where the incumbents have surrendered product innovation to small, focused, and dedicated expert companies like the ones he represents. He finds it exceptionally rewarding to be able to work with products on a global scale that make real and meaningful differences in the daily lives of many individuals. Bjorn, I'd like to welcome you to the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show. Thank you, Alex. It's great to be here. Bjorn, tell us a little bit about your background and also a little bit about Good Idea Drinks. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, so I uh, could be guessed from my name. I'm Swedish by origin. I came to California about five years ago, um, and uh, the, I'm here now setting up my uh, companies that I developed and started back in the U.S. I've been in the food industry and in the non-dairy industry for the last 20-plus years. I've uh, been working with my brother, who's a professor in food chemistry, and back in 1994-95, he patented, uh, he filed a first patent on a process to make milk from oats. I thought that was an outwardly crazy idea. I was at that time in the software industry and building a software company. I uh, actually had a lot of business with the big companies down the peninsula here in California. So I traveled a lot to this part of the world already back then. But anyway, I, I thought I sold my software company in 97 and I, I figured I should go and help my brother with this crazy out, outworldish idea of, of converting people from dairy protein consumers to oat protein how about that huh and uh, it's funny i mean in the beginning everybody thought i said goat milk when i said oat milk because <laughs> nobody had ever heard about that before right um so cutting forward in 2001 we formed a company uh called oatly and uh, launched a consumer branded oat milk product and uh, set out to change the world uh, first 10 years were, were pretty slow. I think we were very early in the market. Um, but uh, the last 10 years, it's been an explosive growth and it's been an absolutely amazing journey for us. 
and um, uh, there, there's a lot to be said and a lot to talk about there. Um, what I do want to say, though, in uh, the, the whole company, it's science-driven. It's a lot of research, uh, clinical studies, patents. Uh, we took the R&D department out of Oatly and formed a, a separate R&D company back in 2008 called Aventure. And in this company, we've been focusing on developing food products with very clear health uh, properties that we document clinically. So we've been working very hard on clinical proof all the time. And um, we develop, in our network of scientists, we develop processes and products that we can patent protect. Uh, we have, uh, since 2008, successfully launched a number of companies. Uh, and uh, some actually also not so successful. So we've gone through a couple of different um, uh, experiences, put it that way. Uh, all along, of course, uh, I've been very involved in, in, uh, in the development of Oatly. Um, I'm currently on the board and uh, work a little bit uh, with the team here in the US at times. But as I say, my daytime job is, is uh, to launch a company called Good Idea. Uh, which is one of the uh, the inventions that have sprung out of our research at the venture and good idea is a slightly flavored sparkling water that uh, you if you drink it with your food it will help uh, regulate your blood sugar and in fact reduce your blood sugar spikes ex extremely effectively with the somewhere between 25 to 30 percent and uh, that effect has many a multitude of uh, positive health benefits for for everybody but you and i would probably notice uh, alex uh, immediate effect if we drink it with lunch and and uh, uh, you stay much more awake and alert after lunch i think first time you and i met was at your uh, uh, cultured meat show in in some or conference in san francisco right and we were happy to sponsor that with uh, with our beverages. And I think uh, we had a very alert conversation after lunch there. Yeah. And, and actually, so on that note, I have a good idea drink with me. And I've been oh. wanting I've been wanting to, uh, you know, test out opening it on air uh, just because of the, the crisp. I mean, of course, it's just in a can, but just open it up crisp sound of that. But when you have good idea uh, with lunch, it keeps you alert, keeps you awake afterwards. Usually you kind of f feel a little bit sluggish, a little bit drowsy after lunch. Um, is it totally fine to drink it even if you're not eating food? Oh, absolutely. You can drink it anytime. It, it's, uh, uh, the thing is, the active ingredients here, uh, it may sound like magic. How can it go in and regulate blood sugar? What kind of weird stuff do you put in that thing? Uh, but the beauty is really that, that uh, the active components are all very natural and things you and I need in our diet every day. Uh, in this particular case, our scientists identified five amino acids, so the building blocks of proteins. Um, and these particular five amino acids are uh, essential, meaning uh, we have to have them in our diet. The body can't synthesize them internally. We need to consume them. Um, and it just so happens that uh, we've discovered that if you consume them in liquid form, they're extremely rapidly absorbed by, by the body. And they, in fact, kick, help kickstart the metabolic processes. 
so trigger an early insulin release so when carbs that you eat if you eat together with the drink right the carbs converts into sugar very rapidly and and ultimately to the glucose that comes out in the blood but um, the uh, liquid amino acids are even faster so they they run past in, in the line right uh, the, the fast carbs and help kickstart the process so when the carb the glucose from the carbs come out in the blood the system is primed and ready and can process it much more effectively and the last ingredient with other ingredient we have which is also an essential meaning you have to have it in your food is the mineral uh, a very important mineral that in fact most americans don't get enough of and that's chromium and chromium is in the scientific world extremely uh, well documented it has extremely well documented eff effects on uh, what we call insulin sensitivity the meaning it makes your insulin in the system far more efficient and uh, works much better in processing your blood blood sugars so this double whammy effect of the amino acids and chromium result in in a blood sugar curve that is far more uh, elongated and lower. So, so um, what the scientists would say, the area under the curve, the total blood sugar uh, in your blood from your food will be reduced 25-30%. Now, your question is, what happens if I don't eat and drink it? Well, if there's no blood sugar to regulate, there will be no particular effect on the blood sugar. And you will, in, for you as an experience, it's just a tasty beverage that you can drink as much as you want of. I mean, the, the uh, quantities that we have in the product are, are way under, uh, you know, you need, I think you need to drink 16 cans per day to come up to what's recommended daily intake of the amino acids. So, so knock yourself out, right? There's no danger on overdosing, so to speak. Here I go to open up the can. Oh. <laughs> Regarding the taste, I will say that the, the first time I, I had a good idea drink uh, and it was the sparkling lemon lime and that's the one I have here it took me a second to to kind of think about what it was right and so I was expecting I guess more of like a um, sparkling water but then it has a nice I don't want to say kick because it's not like a, a, a big effect but a, a nice subtle flavor to it and it took me maybe the second or third one for me to really start liking it and so can you talk a little bit about how you guys uh, developed the the taste and and the whole process of developing for taste yeah sure it's it's um in some sense i mean we're obviously a european company right and and in europe it's been very common for for a very long time to drink sparkling water and and uh, with food and Typically, you know, had you been in Europe, let's say 20 years ago, it would be very common to squeeze a little bit of lime or a little bit, a little bit of lemon with your sparkling water and consume it with your food. And uh, when we develop good idea, I mean, the active ingredients, amino acids and the chromium, uh, we could put them theoretically in pretty much any beverage. But what we were looking for was to put them in a beverage that's in some sense, the least common denominator for the most number of people to be something easy to consume with food. And, and so from our European background, that immediately landed us in, in flavored waters. We had to add flavor to mask the otherwise bitter amino acid flavor. 
And I think the fact that there is uh, amino acids that have sort of flavor components in their own right adds, in effect, uh, more body, more volume to 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 the the water, which this effectively, I mean, the consumer experience, as I'm sure you can witness, is too is exactly that of drinking a, a sparkling flavored water, possibly with a bit more body in the flavor itself, although. Uh, what we also did with our European heritage, we decided we don't want to over-perfume it. We don't want it to be too strong of a flavor because it's going to match with food. So it needs to have that subtle, light flavor. And we also learned when we started testing this on American consumers about two and a half, three years ago, that that here you probably have an, an anticipation expectations of very strong pungent you know strong flavor effectively and and um, you know traditionally the sodas here have been lots of sugar and you know it's you, you, the food companies here tend to put a lot in it right and and the benefit of that in some sense is probably when you drink the beverage on its own it might be desirable to have a bit more uh, punch, so to speak, but uh, uh, with food, we've seen that it really works better with with a, a little, little lighter flavoring. And uh, it's funny what you said that it took you one, two, or maybe three tries to really get to enjoy it. And I think we see that all the time that that people that drink it, that they, you know, the more they drink it, the more they love it, and and it's almost like uh, people get addicted to good idea over time uh, uh, you know the, the most critical consumer test we did was when two years ago when i invited over my daughter at that time 13 and probably 10 15 of her classmates all 13 year old girls right and they're all drinking lacroix lacroix was sort of the big thing and we did blind tastings and comparisons and everybody 100 percent preferred good idea over lacroix um and when you had that kind of critical <laughs> consumer, right, we felt like, okay, this might work, actually. So, so um, yeah, there you go. That's the background. We want you to drink it with food. It should appear with food very well. But, of course, if you're thirsty, drink it anytime. Personally, I, I have a little bit of dry mouth. So anytime I'm eating, I always have to have a drink with me. So if you, you were to offer me a cookie, I would have to say, no, I don't have any milk, right? And so, so, <laughs> you so don't for have me, any oat milk, you mean. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly, oat milk. <laughs> so, so for me, that, that concept was very interesting. And, and the comparison to LaCroix, also very interesting because I, LaCroix has, um, I think, a higher level of carbonation. And this one yes. has a, a nicer level of carbonation, yes. uh, I think. So how, how did you guys figure out the, the ideal level of carbonation? Uh, I think it was, I don't know. I, th I think, again, maybe a little bit of our European heritage there. It, it's very natural for us to look at lower carbonated waters. It, it's, you know, if you look at the carbonated water category and the prestige, the higher end carbonated waters that you know the really premium products tend to have less carbonation you know add a lot of carbonation is a cheap way to 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 hide things and and to make you know again it's that add a lot to it give it a lot of punch it's an you know cheap thrill in some sense but it may may be fun first time but over time I think uh, we've seen again and again and again that people actually do prefer lower levels of carbonation. 
So, you know, well, we don't know if we're right or wrong or true, you know, but that we, we believe strongly in that. And, and it, so far, it seems to be working to our advantage. So I want to track back to what you were doing uh, in the mid-90s. You said that you were in tech. What kind of tech were you working on back in the mid-90s? Oh, I uh, started a software company back in Sweden uh, in uh, the late 80s uh, after graduating from engineering school. Uh, we started developing uh, uh, crypto, crypto solutions and compu computer security. And uh, quite quickly, actually, made some pretty major breakthrough with uh, Sun Microsystems and Hewlett Packard at the time that uh, ended up selling our products all over the world. Uh, particularly to our target market quickly became banks and, and government organizations across the world. So uh, we, we thought we were the coolest things on the planet. We did uh, cryptography, public uh, cryptography, and had sophisticated solutions early on. Uh, I'm just surprised to see this 30 years later. It's still the same problems out there, so I'm not sure. But we, we ended up selling the company to a, to a California-based company called RSA Security. And uh, that's, uh, that was in 97, and that's when I left the software industry. Uh, I went into food and consumer products, and it really what, you know, we used to go to all the cool computer conferences around here, and we thought we were the coolest kids, obviously, and that computer software was the place to be. But I had an epiphany one day when I, in, I was, happened to be in London, and my brother actually showcased oat milk for the first time in a food show uh, in London, Earl's Court in London. And the, the funny thing, you know, when if you've ever experienced the software industry, when you show a software package, whatever it is, and people come in and they'll say, well, I don't like this or that doesn't work. Well, don't worry, I'll take care of that in the next version, right? This is just a beta or whatever, and uh, we'll fix the bugs in the next release. Well, try that at a food show, if you like. If people come in and they actually eat your product, <laughs> it's sort of no room for, ah, well, we have another release coming soon. Don't, right. don't worry, <laughs> stay with us, right? Doesn't work that way. It's that sort of immediate kind of, uh, I don't know, it intrigued me. I loved it. And, and I left the high-tech industry, or, or I shouldn't say the high-tech, because I think what we are doing is high-tech food. But we left the software, computer, and uh, high-tech, that type of high-tech industry behind and never looked back since. So we know it's difficult to market a product, whether it's, you know, whether it's a tech product or it's a food product. But when it comes to marketing a, a food product, um, how important is it that um, the branding and the marketing is successful uh, before even the product is successful? Uh, because we know sometimes it takes um, many years, many iterations on the packaging, uh, maybe even changes to the product itself. But can you describe a little bit about the process of marketing a food product and and the importance of branding and marketing? Absolutely, yes. Uh, so I think what's happening is that it used to be in the food industry, particularly in the U.S., right? That it was it wasn't really. I mean, you know, the big food companies will disagree with what I will say, but but it was never about the consumer. It was never about marketing to the consumer and building trust and a relationship with the consumer. It has never been. 
it was all about logistics and owning distribution and then broadcasting your messages using TV commercials and other types of commercials. You know, if you were Coke, you owned the shelf space, you had a strong relationship with the retailer, forget coming in in that environment as a newbie, right? And so they bought the shelf space and then they got the consumers to go there and, and um, pick their products off shelves by brainwashing them with, with um, expensive TV commercial campaigns. So that's how the traditional food industry built its platforms. And I think part of the backlash why pretty much no consumer, no one in this part of the world today trust big food companies you know, if you go out and ask, people don't trust big food companies. And, and I think that's a consequence of that old model that, that you know, it was, it was all about tricking you into products because we, we brainwashed you with TV commercials. So over the last 10, 15 years, we've seen a dramatic change with the emergence of, of new distribution channels and, and a realization of the need for organic and healthy products and this has created a, a flurry of new innovation and new product and all new innovation, I dare say 100%, challenge me if you can, but all new innovation comes from small upstart companies, from people that are not within the food industry because the traditional you know, big food companies have fostered an army of people that have been trained in the traditional way of doing things, right? So that's why you see new innovations look here in, in california for example all the new cool american food companies they are started by lawyers by software engineers by bankers by people largely from outside of the food industry where, where they've seen a need and they decide because you have a culture of starting companies and doing stuff here right they see and identify a need soylent whatever right look at them uh, and and you set about to solve it this is, of course, with the emergence of Amazon and alternative channels that you're less dominated by, or you, you were less dependent on succeeding in retail. Uh, uh, you know, you could get your products to the market different channels and ultimately led the traditional retailers to force, to change attitude and accept to bring in smaller companies and new products and, you know, give up shelf space for, for the new cool brands that ultimately their consumers want. Their consumers don't want necessarily only the big brands from the big companies that they don't trust. So, so in that context, marketing of food products have become extremely important in a very different way. And I think you still see a lot of companies struggle with that here. Um, and I think, uh, I, I, you know, working closely with Oatly, I think we learned extremely much about how, how to succeed with, with branding. And, and branding is not just slapping a, a sticker on you and come up with a cool slogan or something. It becomes more of the true authenticity of the company behind. Who are you? I mean, you have to be the one you say you are. You have to live your story. And the closer to really being who you are and being honest and transparent. Transparency is so important today, right? In, in all aspects, showing what are the ingredients, where do they come from, how are they made, you know, what's your real story here. Of course, everybody in one way or the other want to make money, but it's also about something else. It's about you know, providing, in my case, we're all so excited about our products because we can deliver true health benefits to people that really need it. And, and that's 
you know, we're not just peddling a beverage that happens to taste great. It actually delivers a really important health benefit. And for example, now with good idea, when we get emails, I just read an email uh, yes or Friday at the office from a mother of a 16-year-old daughter that has diabetes type 1. And, and, you know, we're all sort of sitting there listening to her story, how we dramatically changed the quality of life for that one person. Uh, you know, that's what we're all about. And, and this all translates into, you know, market. We need to convey that story. So, so uh, when you launch a product, you need to have your, your, your message and, who, you know, your authentic message about who you are and what you want to do. It needs to be there day one. I think consumers expect and demand that more and more. And that's also how we can differentiate ourselves from the big ugly food companies that nobody trusts. I think when you said that you need to live your story and that needs to come out through the brand, I think that really hits home. And I think that, I think you're right, a lot of people do just slap a label on it and and think that, that they can that make it run. But you really have to live your story and believe in your story. I think so, it's so critical, right? And in, in, you know, in the case of Oatly now, we see a lot of new oat milks hitting the market here in 2019. And it's funny for me to see how some of these bigger food companies completely changing their marketing to try to be something that they really aren't, right? Just because I think Oatly is out there and has defined um, in, in its honesty, in its transparency, the way it, they are. Now now they're forcing everybody to sort of kind of move in a way where they can communicate and engage with the consumers in a very different way. It remains to see who will succeed in that. We talked about patents for the different pr food products that you guys have been working on. Is the is Good Idea patented? Yeah, there are three different patents uh, involved. And we have uh, the patents have been approved in some 20 odd countries by now. Uh, I think some of them are still pending here in the US, but it tends to be, you know, a rather lengthy and unfortunately also a rather costly process. But for us, it's critical because if we do clinical studies and prove that something we've invented or, uh, you know, um, that it actually has health benefits, we, we can't really, as a small company, independent company, invest millions in clinical studies uh, unless we know that we actually <laughs> at least have some kind of um, uh, advantage when we launch the product so that you know bigger companies with deeper pockets can't just make a copycat day after the day after and ride on the same benefits that we spent so much time in in um, uh, perfecting right so so therefore two cornerstones in everything we do is patentable processing or products and clinically proven. How many flavors of Good Idea Drink are available now? We launched three flavors. We feel that that's the, the amount you need when you start launching into retail and, and food services. Uh, we have, I think, five or six flavors that we have tested and worked with. That So we're ready to launch more flavors when, when we have the uh, inertia and, and uh, movement in the market. But uh, currently we have three flavors, dragon fruit, orange mango, and uh, lemon lime. Being based in the U.S., uh, where is the best place to uh, pick up Good Idea drinks? The easiest place to get Good Idea for anyone today is to go to Amazon and just look up Good Idea drinks, and you buy it off Amazon. 
Uh, we are uh, in about 200 retailers right now. We launched in retail in uh, uh, last summer, and uh, uh, we are distributed by a, a national distributor called Kehi that has taken us in on, into uh, eight of their distribution centers by now. Um, but by the nature, the, the way how things work in the retail industry, the, the first customers to bring us on board are are typically smaller independent uh, retailers because they can make purchase decisions right there and then very quickly. We're of course working with with um, bigger retail chains, but uh, you know they have reset schedules, and then uh, bottom line is that can take eight, ten, twelve months before. You know they make a decision until you are uh, you're on shelf. So so uh, if you happen to be in Mill Valley, for example, you can go to Mill Valley Market, and and there are other stores up in in Marin County. We've been servicing a number of su supermarkets in Santa Rosa and San Rafael and, and around here uh, directly. Um, if you're in Southern California, you can go to a place like Lassen's in the Midwest. We have quite a lot of uh, uh, smaller independent chains. Plum Market happens to be one. Jumbo Gyms, another one. Um, for those out there that happen to listen in that part of the world and recognize them. Um, we're also in, uh, rolling out in, uh, in food service. So we're actually going to uh, address uh, and sell directly to a lot of the offices and, and companies here in the Bay Area for lunches to have, so you can have it with your lunch. And I know that you had mentioned a couple different flavors that you guys were experimenting with, but are there any new products that are planned to come out or, or products that you're working on that you might be able to discuss? Uh, in good idea, you may know. We, 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 um, we have the three uh, we are, have on the market now and, and we have other flavors ready to launch when uh, when we have built more scale and more presence in the market. So so it's really not so much to say that more than that. Yeah, there'll be more flavors. Don't worry. And I want to kind of uh, start the closing by really asking, what advice do you have for those interested in starting a new food company? Patience, patience, patience. <laughs> It, don't expect an overnight success. It takes time, and and that's the frustrating part of it. Uh, you know that aspect. I can, at times, look back to the software industry, and and you know if you have a software package, you can scale very quickly if you're successful, right? That's obviously very difficult in in the food industry, um, for for obvious reasons. So so um, I think you you need to expect that. Uh, you know, three, five, six, seven years to from start to to start to get to, to a you know thirty, fifty million dollar business, uh, somewhere in that range. Of course, there are exceptions. There are occasional you know outliers that that make this much quicker. But uh, as I said, just the inertia in the retail. It can take a year to get into retail, right? To bigger chains, and. Uh, um, Unless you, I mean, you can get into occasional, you know, test markets and whatnot quicker and independence, as I said. But the independents are, by definition, typically much smaller and don't generate the big volumes. So you, you need to sort of earn your way by succeeding in the independence and go up to the smaller regional chains and show traction and show, show uh, successful sell-through rates. 
and then you're going to start get accepted by bigger retailers and and it just takes time it's really hard to to um, come up with a shortcut there uh, i mean obviously a, a way around that you people would argue would be selling online and which we are doing i, I just mentioned amazon right but but uh, also with uh, water for example the water beverages online distribution is not super easy because we have pretty heavy products uh, uh, so the ratio value to weight is not favorable if you are in dietary supplements for example it's a very very different story right so there are many successful dietary supplement companies that only sell online uh, that's not quite food though but um, if you have a food product like bars or other things where you have more value uh, per weight online business can be a really good way forward and as i say this there are starting we're starting to see some beverage companies that are very successful in their online business and build an online presence and have that online presence help drive their their um, their brick and mortar presence over time you can get in touch with bjorn on linkedin and learn more about good idea drinks at www.goodideadrinks.com Bjorn, thank you so much for being with us today. Are there any last insights you might have for our listeners? Uh, yeah, it's take, it takes longer time and it costs more money, but that, <laughs> they've heard that before, right? So, so otherwise, I think uh, being in the food industry is, is one of the coolest places to be in right now. It's, a, it's an industry that needs change dr- drastically and where all the major incumbents basically resigned any innovation so it's a it's a wide open space for innovation Um, and uh, i encourage people to look at it i think it's a great spot to be in bjorn thanks so much for being on the show thank you alex it was really cool thank you very much this is yours alex and we look forward to being with you on our next episode 